Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm and welcome to They Just Get It, a podcast about, well, people who just get it. So picture this, it's early spring, the weather's just starting to turn, sun's out, it's beating through your windows, kids are getting a little bit antsy, it's, it's summer, it's, it's, it's here, it's not spring anymore, it's Calgary, there might be a snowstorm, but you're pretty sure summer's around the corner, and it's a Saturday afternoon, you're looking for something to do, and you live in Calgary. I don't know about you, but what I want to do is I want to go to Village Ice Cream, because nothing says summer to me, and nothing says the sound, the feeling, the smells, the taste like ice cream. And if you live in Calgary, you think about Village Ice Cream. And I'm very happy today to have with me a friend of mine and someone I, 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 I admire and hold in very hard regard, Mr. Billy Friley, the founder and the man behind the magic. Billy, welcome. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks for having me. This is great. It's an absolute pleasure. When uh, I was thinking about guests and people to talk about, and when, when you think about people that just get it, uh, it, it often is easy to look to the end and go, wow, like they've got it figured out. But what I love to do is go, well, there was a path. There was a process. It didn't, you didn't just wake up one day and become the ice cream mogul that you are. It was an idea. It was a start. So what I would love to share today is give people a chance to kind of you know, look behind the amazing logo, look behind the colorful branding, look behind the huge lineups that happened down in Victoria Park that I've, that, that I've, that I've stood in joyfully, strangely enough, one of the few lines I do actually enjoy standing in because I know the payoff at the end is worth it. Love to hear a little bit more and share with people the you before, the Billy that was the guy with the idea, or how it happened. So I'm going to just be like, let's go back to the beginning. Like, not too far back, but mm. far enough that people can get a picture of uh, how we got this thing going. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about the story. I mean, the story's not over yet. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, it's been six years since we opened Village Ice Cream. And, um, yeah, it's been a really exciting and... and uh, uh, a challenging time for me. Um, but I'll take you back to, uh, to high school for just briefly and what I thought I was going to do with my life. And then we'll, we'll fast forward to where I am today. You mean you're just to be clear, your guidance counselor and you didn't check off ice cream mogul. They actually, no, uh, nobody told me that I could uh, own an ice cream business. Uh, in high school, which I'm quite disappointed about. And um, I've actually gone back to my high school to let the grade 11 students know in their career counseling class that this is a viable option. I see a sternly worded letter somewhere in this to somebody <laughs> about options, but okay, that's good. That's good to hear. I, I think that's a good lesson for all of us. It's, it's not always, it's not always obvious. No, it isn't. And uh, strangely enough, my career counselor in, in high school uh, was quite excited by the prospect of me becoming an astronaut. And, uh, and that's what I intended to do. I, um, I finished school with uh, poor marks in, in English and social studies and very good marks in the sciences and math and uh, applied to the University of Colorado in Boulder uh, in the aerospace engineering program. Um, the main reason I wanted to be an astronaut is because I wanted to listen to my favorite albums in space. Um, that I thought would be uh, pretty much the coolest job you could have. Uh, but the harsh reality of, of what it meant to be an astronaut uh, gave me a good stern kick in the pants when I got to University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, that school had actually graduated 13 active astronauts, so it, there was quite a history of, of success for people who had aspired to that career um, coming out of that school. Um, 
but what I realized was very early on is that um, I didn't have all of the uh, the characteristics and and traits uh, to become an astronaut. First and foremost, my eyesight was not good enough, and likely never would be good enough to be an astronaut. But secondly. Uh, some of the more subtle qualities of, of personality weren't there. And one of them is that I was a lone wolf. I wasn't a team player. And I had no real experience of being a team player growing up. I didn't do a lot of sports. And um, uh, I skied and I ran and I lifted weights with my friends. But I didn't do a lot of stuff that required collaboration. Um, and the young people that were in my program um, took collaboration to such an extreme that they, they all lived together. I mean, there'd be like three or four aspiring aerospace engineers living in, in, in a dorm or apartment together. Um, and their weekends were filled with building models uh, uh, for launching rockets using C++ programming. And my weekends were snowboarding and skiing and drinking beer with my friends uh, who were not involved in the program. So um, my, I did very well my first year, of course, because the first year uh, basic engineering courses are... are um, uh, are largely, there's not a lot of group work, but by second year there was, and my, my grades were falling quickly because of this. And I went from a straight A student, uh, to getting B's and C's. And, uh, not only that, but I kind of fell out of love with the idea of this program. And I, I didn't know why at the time, but I, I, I think now, you know, I had some gut feeling that it just wasn't my path. It wasn't my destiny to follow. In fact, I quit school um, altogether. I was totally uh, disenchanted with university altogether after my third semester. And I came home to work in the mountains. Um, but at the time, minimum wage was eight bucks an hour. And I learned really quickly that... And how old? Let's give some context staying. to the yeah. audience. How old were you at the time? I was 19. So when I quit university... Uh, that time in life when you yeah. like should be making long-term life decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I quit and I was a bellman. Um, at a, at a resort uh, just west of Lake Louise uh, called Emerald Lake Lodge. And I, and I was there for the better part of a year, actually. But during that process, I realized that I probably want to go back to school. Uh, but I didn't want to go back to the University of Colorado. And I actually wanted, uh, I, I don't know why, but I'd been to Montreal once. And I had decided that um, I'd like to live in Montreal. So I applied to McGill. They didn't let me into engineering because my grades had fallen so much. But they did uh, uh, accept me into the sciences. So, um, uh, so still on the sciences path, though. Yeah, still, still, still at that time, still okay. on the sciences. That summer, so I, curious, that summer with, uh, as a bellman, though, that's, that's, that's the public. That's dealing with people. That's helping. That's serving. Yeah. Did yeah. That, was there any sparks? Did that start to, did you feel that or no? I mean, no, I, I think that, you know, that was a time where um, I would say was one of, one, one of the darker periods of my life. So I think I was just, you know, I was just trying to kind of get through the days at that point because I was really lost, you know, and I had, um, I had, uh, you know, I, I, I was coming off of, you know, uh, a trajectory that was, you know, gaining me a lot of attention amongst my friends and my family. And here was this young guy astronaut, who was aspiring astronaut. Like now it. he's yeah. working, you know, as a bellman, you know, um, and not really talking about going back to school, you know. So, so family, friends, people around you, kind of, yeah, probably with a with a cautious hand, like Billy, what, what's what's going on? Totally, like, yeah. yeah, you know. But I was pretty stubborn, so my parents couldn't really they they didn't know what angle to hit me on. But uh, anyways, I, I I'll, I'll, I'm going to interview your dad next. So yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, get let you know. we'll get a whole different perspective. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I went to McGill. I got into McGill, and thank goodness, you know, that my grades from first year were good enough to get me in there. But I got into McGill. And I started in chemistry, and then I went to physics. And then I realized I didn't want to do sciences at all. And what I realized, though, was 
I, and at this time, I, you know, I'd pretty much given up everything that I thought I liked, or at least that I was good at. One, one thing living in Montreal and being in such a multicultural environment and multilingual environment uh, that really attracted me was this idea of, of speaking foreign languages. And uh, I got so into it because um, when I do get my mind on something, I'm pretty focused that I, that I learned uh, Spanish, Portuguese, and French when I was in Montreal and, and became fluent. I mean, pra- you know, practically conversationally fluent. Um, and my two best buddies were both Francophone um, that, I, that I'd made early on there. And uh, I spent all my time with like Brazilian foreign exchange students uh, uh, in Again, the pub. Again, a story, for, a study yeah, for, another maybe day. A story yeah. for another day. Maybe a story for another day. Uh, you know, and uh, and the majority of my education ended up happening, you know, uh, on the streets of Montreal and not in the classroom. Um, during that time, I realized that um, I didn't want to do the sciences, and I looked up a program in the arts called Latin American Studies. It had four required classes to graduate, and I could apply all of my science courses as electives. And it was, uh, you know, at this point, I wasn't really interested in university at all anymore. I wanted to get out as quickly as possible. I wanted to get through with the program. So I signed up for Latin American Studies. Um, and, uh, and of course my beginner Spanish and Portuguese classes applied and, uh, and, uh, three years later or two and a half years later, I was graduated. So it took me five years to get out of school. So you're 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, was, I think I was 23 at this time. 23. You graduated. And you're graduated. in Montreal. Yeah. As a fellow Montrealer, I hold a warm place for that. So I can That's feel right. that experience, the multicultural, the, yeah. it's, you're, you're not in, you're not in Calgary. No, it's definitely not. It's a not. different environment. Definitely not. And I was really, I was really, I, I, I look back on it today and like there is no city in the world I would, I would choose if I had to go back and do my undergrad to go to other than Montreal. I just loved it. I was just the right place for me at the right time. Um, well, but learning, having said l- learning that. Learning doesn't just come in the classroom and Montreal is yeah. a great environment to make that true. Every yeah, day. totally. Especially, you know, if you're interested in culture and language and all of that, there's no better place. The human condition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now, you know, I had gradu- I, I graduated with a Latin American Studies degree, having spent most of my elective time in the sciences and engineering, um, and in between had worked a lot of random jobs, from being a bellman to working um, uh, as a waiter in a restaurant, um, to working in corporate finance as a summer intern, um, which was a job that I got through my dad, um, and... Uh, 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 I, I had no idea. I, I didn't particularly fall in love with the idea of banking, but um, that was really the start of my trajectory into owning Village Ice Cream. Oh, interesting. Um, was it a mentor? Was it more what you were learning? Yeah. I, no, it was It was a mentor, actually. It was an individual that I met. So um, so I, in my, my last year before graduating, my last summer, I, I got this job um, doing, working mostly on Excel documents, modeling at this, at this uh, bank downtown Calgary and um i was there for three months and you know you taught you hear about corporate finance internships and you think about the young guy going to new york and he doesn't sleep for three days at a time and they're just killing him and they're paying him peanuts 16 hour days yeah 16 hour days well i don't think there was one day on that in that entire summer where i left after 4 p.m. <laughs> I was so like, you uh, <laughs> you, okay, so you did not, okay. I left before the president every day, um, or that, or that, or I should say it. the it active like manager. Like yeah. I, I mean, not a you know, I mean, I just, I, I mean, just to get to 4 p.m. was a struggle for me, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I never arrived before, before eight and, um, I, I didn't know, 
what a razor was at that point. Um, and I, and I, my parents still dressed me in my formal wear. So my, my, my parents were convinced I was going to, I think they were convinced I was going to be a football player because I was still wearing uh, dress shirts that were two, two sizes too big for me. I thought you were saying you had shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah. It's like the old. Like. <laughs> um, and so, um, but so I, so I didn't, I, but I, so I went back to my last year of university and I graduated. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I came back to Calgary because um, this is where my parents live and this is where I grew up. And uh, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to just stay in, you know, Montreal and, and work, you know, for 10 bucks an hour or whatever. I came back to Calgary and um, I was really, you know, disenchanted with the whole concept of school. I knew I never wanted to go back to school. And I was like, you know, and I, and I had never really worked a job that I'd love before. So I was kind of like, you know what? I don't want to go back to school. I better figure out something that makes like a bunch of money. That's what I thought. Um, uh, with not that much education and, you know, finance is one of those areas. I mean, you can go back and do an MBA and a CFA and stuff like that, but there's a lot of guys who come out of their undergrad and go into finance. Um, and, uh, so I started applying for finance jobs. Uh, the problem was, uh, is that I really didn't know what a razor was. I'd show up at these, you know, despite having, you know, connections through my father and stuff, I'd show up at these interviews with no tie on, uh, uh, unshaven. Um, and, and they, I could just see in their eyes, they're like, man, we're trying to help you out here, but you know, like, can you're, you just do the basics, you know? Uh, yeah, you're not making it easy for us. And sure enough, like they, they did not get offers, you know, thank goodness. Um, and, and so one day I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to my internship at this bank a year prior. And my dad had told me that one of the guys who was a young guy, he was a corporate securities lawyer turned banker. And his wife was a corporate securities lawyer, Bennett Jones. They had both quit their jobs uh, to do a, to, to purchase uh, a, a, um, iconic small business in the city, which was Peter's Drive-In. Interesting. Um, and they were in their early 30s, and I didn't really know much. I didn't grow up going to Peter's Drive-In or anything, so I didn't know much. I knew it was a really popular drive-in that had long lineups. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't, you know, um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of people, I mean, have hold that place near and dear to their heart. They would go there on Saturdays after hockey practice or on the way up to Sylvan Lake on the weekends or whatever. So I, I phoned this guy and I didn't have a lot of contact with him uh, during that during that summer internship. But he was, you know, he was only 31 at the time. And uh, and uh, he said, well, why don't you I phoned him. I said, well, why don't you come meet me up at Peter's uh, and we'll we'll sit down and have a chat because I told him I'm having having trouble getting a job. And uh, so I showed up one morning. This was in 2000 and six 2007 early 2007 i showed up one morning and went into the back of peter's drive-in and saw you know thousands of patties hundreds of hamburger buns stacked high and uh enough french fries to feed a small village for a for a year and uh and I, here this guy was that I'd only ever seen in a suit and tie, um, you know, wearing uh, sneakers and uh, pants that you could spill barbecue sauce on and just coming off the line. And uh, we sat down and uh, he told me a little bit about buying this business and how much he's had. And like they both quit their jobs downtown. So it must have been a pretty lucrative little business that they had bought, you know, to quit those high profile jobs downtown. And he um, he uh, he said to me, he said, Billy, I, I don't think you want to work downtown. He said, you're going you're gonna to be sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet 12 hours a day for the next three years. And uh, what I really think you should do is come and work for me. Uh, 
He said, uh, I'm going to give you the MBA of a lifetime. You're not even going to have to buy, go get an MBA after this because I'm going to give you an MBA. And you and I are going to get this thing. This thing's being held together by duct tape a little right now. And we're going to get this thing running real good. And uh, after that, we're going to go start a private equity fund. So why don't you come with me? And uh, so I went home. I talked to my parents. And, uh, you know, without too, too much thinking, I accepted, accepted the job offer. Um, no second no, I mean, I think the guy was saying, he right? told me what he was going to pay me. And it was like, you know, as much or more as I could have made downtown. He was super generous. No, and he said, you know what, you're going to, yeah. He said, you're, you're going to, you're going to run your own show. I'm going to show, you know, he, he said, you're going to, we're going to set you up as a, as a sole proprietor. Um, you know, you're going to learn how to do your, file your own taxes. You're going to learn a lot of basics about business and, um, you know, we're going to rock and roll. So I was kind of almost running my own business, right. You know, without, you know, kind of just being forced into doing it. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was the start of a, of a three or three year mentorship. And it was amazing. You know, I was, I guess I was just primed to find somebody who inspired me because I hadn't found that in university um, or in high school, really. And uh, this guy was like super inspiring. Like he was a guy who came from the corporate world who like is now running a hamburger restaurant and like doing better than he could have done in the corporate world and having a blast and running his own show. And he was 31 years old. It was an amazing story. So one of our favorite things to do, and I just kind of gave myself to the cause. So like anything he needed done, I would do. And so one of the things that like he loved to do, because he was a bit of a workaholic, you know, one of the things that he loved to do was he loved to vacuum up all the ketchup packs uh, at, at Peter's driving. And it's an entire city block of land. I'm sure you've been up there. I have. And so you can imagine it's quite a job. There was 27 garbage cans on the property and you know, not all the garbage got in those cans. So just the process (laughs) of clearing out the garbage in the morning. I'm picturing carnage, literally carnage after a busy busy Saturday night or whatever. So we'd show up there at six 30 on a Sunday morning and we had these ghostbuster style, uh, uh, vacuum vacuum. I I can picture it. I can picture it. (laughs) And so we'd have the white white overalls on. Yeah, the whole yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And we would go, and he would just preach. Uh, he'd preach Warren Buffett to me for like two hours. And we did this like two, three days a week. We would clean up ketchup packs, and he would preach Warren Buffett. And he, you know, he bought he bought Peter's Driving based on you know having researched, uh, done an immense amount of research since the time he was sixteen years old on Warren Buffett type transactions. Okay, and of course Warren was famous for you know making purchases not only in the you know utilities and railroads and all those classic things you might find on a Monopoly board set, but also Seize Candy, Justin's Boots. Uh, he was in Dairy Queen. You know, he 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 was a he was a guy who thought side thought outside the box you know a little bit and uh and this guy that i worked for did as well and so um uh, so we uh, that's kind of where i got my mentorship from and i also got insider access into what a really phenomenal small business looked like that took care of its people um that turned a profit and that didn't you know didn't grow so big that you know it kind of ruined the brilliance of the model Mm -hmm. um and so and he'd have me read like you know um securities analysis and like all the famous you know finance texts and all that kind of stuff so after about two years, and he had me doing some really fun stuff as well. Like one time he's like, we want lasers in, in, uh, in Peter's Drive. We want lasers to activate our milkshake spinners. And because before it was a spring-loaded pedal that, that was impossible to clean. 
and was kind of dangerous. And so he said, if we could just get a laser where your foot tripped the beam and it activated the motor, then that would be amazing. And we need it to be a waterproof laser. I was like, okay. So he put me on this project. And six months later, we had these custom tables with lasers on them that were designed to measure just above the floor so that the floor wouldn't activate them. But when your foot uh, interrupted the beam, the motor would turn on. These tables uh, we calculated would allow for uh, 40 years of maintenance-free milkshake spinning, and it costs about 3500 bucks a table. There was two of them by the end of it. And uh, I was so proud of myself after that. Like, that was such an amazing achievement. Like, I had fundament- fundamentally participated in making this business work a lot better than it did before. And uh, I loved it, and it made life easier for the staff, and they were happy, and they could literally use their spray bottles to just spray down these, these uh, little infrared uh, infrared, um, mechanisms at the end of the day and wipe them down and they were perfectly clean and sanitized and ready to go for the next morning. It's really cool. After two years, uh, of doing this, um, everything was working really well and he decided that it was time to start a private equity fund and that's when I had to start wearing a suit and tie to work and that didn't work for me. Everything changed. Came back to what I, gotta, I, I feared gotta, most. I got to chime in. I got. I got a question. I, I'm, yeah. From the outside, I heard maybe not so collaborative, maybe not so team oriented, but then all of a sudden, I'm hearing you're passionate, and it feels you're a little more team oriented. All of a sudden, was it? Was there? Was it? Was it the environment? It was changed? a two man team, right? With you know? a whole group of people that you were supporting. I don't. Know, I'm just. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm peering in from the outside, and yeah. I hear something that was a little bit. I'm a one. I'm a lone wolf. Maybe it was two lone wolves. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. But it feels like yeah. you were influencing a lot of people's days. Like that yeah. change of maintenance didn't only change the business's world; it changed every single person that interacted with it to the people that got the shakes at the end of it. Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. It's cool. It's just a different perspective. Yeah, because I'm like, there's a there's a there's a there's a shift here happening, and yeah, and is it because of passion or the right place at the right? You know, you found the groove, and I'm just always always curious about what what all of a sudden made it click here where it didn't click over there. Yeah, man, I'd like to really dive into that sometime because I've never looked at it that way. But there was definitely, you know, something brewing inside that was different for the first time. Um, I, I think it was also a bit of a pride thing, you know. I mean, I think that my parents and everything had imagined, you know, something more for me. And my favorite part of my week was picking up ketchup packs. And I never fully explained the other side of this, which was I was getting this amazing mentorship. But I love to sit around at the dinner table and and regale everybody with stories of vacuum, vacuum sucking, all the different vacuums that we've tried to get these ketchup packs up and what happens when they explode inside the vacuum and everything. So, I mean, so, I, so had you become the black sheep a little bit of the, yeah, of the, of the family so, on yeah, this? Yeah, I yeah, said that yeah, in, a, in a positive, just, maybe just because our, like the world our I grew up in. friends have visions for us. Yeah. And then yeah. we have our own visions. Yeah. And sometimes and those like, don't align. Yeah. And I was kind they of proud of being <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, I was very proud of the fact that I didn't, you know, have to, uh, you know, shave to go to work, you know. And, and, um, and I was, you know, I was succeeding in my role and I was making enough money to support myself. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of like great you were, stuff. You were succeeding because you were contributing. Yeah. You were part of something bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because this guy, like, believed that I could be um that I could be helpful and productive you know and he and he gave me a ton of responsibility and autonomy and uh, he let me make a lot of mistakes and uh and uh and and he mentored me I mean like any great mentor does but anyway so we we, we go on to start this private equity fund and it it just I just blows up 
in my face. I mean, it just doesn't work for me. Um, and I remember, you know, one of my jobs was to go and try to raise money through kind of my network. And, um, I, first of all, didn't understand the model was too complex for me. And second of all, I, I, I didn't have the confidence to be, you know, pitching to people. I didn't understand how it would all work. And, and, you know, it really, I, I kind of felt like useless again, you know, and I didn't like that feeling. And so after 12 months of that, I quit and I quit under the, um, I quit because I said one of my great dreams was to travel to Brazil on my motorcycle. And it was at the time. You know, I spoke Spanish and Portuguese and I was single and people always did this after retirement, you know, and I was like, we're kind of late into their career. And I was like, why would I wait till then? Like, I have the language. I've got the money to buy a motorcycle. Like, I, I'm single. I'm free. Like, there's no better time to do it than right and now. And let's be honest. It hasn't been a conventional path so far. So why, 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 why start? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of what it felt like, right? So I get on this motorcycle. My parents have a big party for me and, and, uh, and, see, see, and, and send me off. Off into the sunset. Uh, off into the sunset. And I take off. And I don't know if you remember The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. I do. I do. That movie. And of course, you know, I was a teenager when that movie came out and that had a profound effect on me, mostly because, you know, it sparked a wanderlust, of course. But also, um, like, you know, the end of that movie is pretty scary. Like, he kind of goes insane, right? Things go. Things take a left turn. Yeah, things take a, things take a left, left turn. turn. And I, I feel like my... Um, my life was a mix between the beach and fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but but without the drugs, um, I was like that Thank, thanks insane for cl- without the drugs. Thank you for clarifying yeah, that for yeah, the, for yeah, the, for the no. kids listening I, today. I wish Thank I could you. say, but yeah. you know, I mean, I was uh, so I was you, you I was you in Del Toro, helmet. or were you Hunter S. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That, well, that's a, again another. That's a part two. That that's a part two. <laughs> At least mostly for the okay. most part. All right. No, I, pre- uh, I appreciate the reference. <laughs> I, for those of you who are not familiar, I highly recommend. Well, maybe not highly, but take a night, watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and follow up by watching the the beach right after. Yeah, and yeah, and you'll get some sense y- of where y- I you was. You will clearly understand Village Ice Cream. Uh, no, all right, yeah, that's, that's, that's a trajectory. Um, but, you know, you're a, you're a motorcycle enthusiast. I am, <laughs> enthusiastically so. And and you know that sometimes, um, you know, being in that, strapped in that helmet all day, and there, there's a certain loneliness on the road. And, and Visor time. Yeah, and, and for the most part, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's what we're looking for. It's what we're seeking. But it, it can get lonely, and especially if you're not in the right frame of mind. So it's a lot of time alone with your thoughts. Absolutely yes, it is. It is. And, you know, Absolutely and so is. I was 25 years old. I was on this motorcycle. Um, it was month three of an eight-month ver- journey, and I was still in northern Mexico, and I had like 14 countries to get through. Um, and I was, I was, it was, it was like I was moving backwards with as time went on. You know, <laughs> I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't. There was no momentum to my journey. Um, I was, you know, I, I, I was. Um, uh, I was lonely. Um, I was, you know, draining my bank account and fearing that I would go back to um, to not having a lot of options career-wise, um, and uh, and that scared me. And 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 I think because what I had found with working for this guy, at least for the first two years, is that probably. Um, 
some of the happiest times in my life were when I felt productive and focused on something. And I had never really experienced that in my younger life. Um, and, and I had lost that through moving to this private equity um, fund. And, uh, and then I, you know, from there I went immediately onto this motorcycle trip. And I didn't have um, a, a strong conviction as to what I wanted to do with my life again. Um, and uh, I missed having... So you're on your motorcycle. You're, you're on the journey. You've, you've ridden off into the sunset. Like the, the music's like good. There's music playing in the background. Your family's waving to you. The answers will be found. Not the case. Not what happened. Pick it, it up. Pick the story up for us. It on, sure on didn't part. feel like that. But when okay. I look back, I mean, I think a lot of I answers were found. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, the bottom line is that I I was going through the what I would call a quarter life crisis. I mean, yeah. I was I was miserable. Twenty five, twenty six, like literally. Yeah, twenty five years life. old, okay. and and I was embarrassed to boot. You know, I mean. I should have had uh, life by the coattails. I mean, I, I had everything that I thought a young man could want. Um, you know, I had a beautiful motorcycle. I had time. I had money in the bank account. And um, and uh, I, I should be just, like, making one crazy, crazy memory after another. And uh, w- what happened was I was alone in hotel rooms with no companionship, no friends, um, feeling like I couldn't really uh, access my world back home in any way and embarrassed and not reaching out to anybody. Um, and that, that scenario played itself out day after day after day as I was on this road trip. Um, and it kind of, uh, it got really miserable for a while. Um, and it all kind of, um, my life kind of came to a screeching halt when I was in Puebla which is a city uh, southeast of Mexico City. Um, and uh, I, was, I was at a taqueria one night having my dinner. And I was so, I never did, you know, I was so into speaking Spanish and, and continuing with that that, like, I would never speak to anybody who appeared to be, you know, foreign or also another traveler. Um, but I was so lonely this night that I, um, I, I saw behind me that what appeared to be kind of like an American or Canadian guy sitting alone at a table right behind me. And I was like, you know what, put your pride aside for a minute and just connect with somebody. And so I asked if I could join him for dinner. And he said, yeah, yeah. And we started talking. And for some reason, I never knew I would do this. I I started describing these symptoms I was having. Um, like I, I was having a bit of a health health scare, and I hadn't really seen a doctor, and I didn't know, you know what. To L- like do. many of us, you, yeah. you shrug it and, off, uh, and you keep and trudging he's forward. Like, oh, he's like, oh, I know exactly what that was. In fact, uh, I've had the same thing, and I I actually have uh, been at the John Hopkins uh, uh, Hospital in, in D.C. Uh, dealing with this situation for the better part of a year. So I'm actually really informed on what you're going through, and. Uh, you know, this is, this is, he said, uh, uh, he said, uh, you know, they used to think that it was, um, that it was caused by bacteria or virus, um, the problems I was having, but they've actually found that it has, uh, it has a huge connection to, uh, psychological state of mind. Um, and, um, and, uh, and he said, you know, for people that are fear, having, going through, you know, really depressive periods or whatever, you know, um, that, uh, that these physical symptoms can come out. And, uh, and uh, I was like, holy shit, like I am, like I am potentially like hurting myself through all my worry and self-loathing and, 
this is this is this is the moment. Like I'm picturing, like the yeah, the sketchy hanging lights. You're in this physical pain because of my mind. I mean, that's where I was, right? And I was like, that's real. That gets real. One thing when you're just struggling in your head, but when it's like showing it, if it's manifesting itself in physical pain, I mean, that's your body saying dude, like I can't handle any more of this. This, this path is not going to get us where yeah. we want to go. So I woke up the next morning, packed my bags and, uh, hightailed it. Well, quick stop to meet an, an old, uh, girlfriend that I had, or a girl that I had met along the way. Uh, well, fantastic. To, you're still 25. On yeah, I was still 25 so years glad old. glad you didn't so lose sight of all yeah. priorities <laughs> at this point. That's great. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and, and then headed, you know, straight North, uh, ditched my bike, um, in, in Phoenix, Arizona and, and flew the rest of the way home because it was late October, early November by this point, And I was worried about riding all the way Absolutely. North and I got home. Life is um, taking the turn. At this yeah. Point. Like you're, yeah. Okay. And it was, you know, it was a pretty cool reentry. You know, here I was, you know, I had kind of failed at aerospace engineering. I had failed at physics, failed at chemistry, um, didn't like any job that I had ever liked, kind of quit the job that I had been doing for three years with this guy and then failed at this motorcycle trip. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, and that was a tough thing. The, to the, the world served it up for you. Like you, yeah. you, you're looking in the mirror of life. Yeah. You're like, I need to. Okay. What What happened? This is yeah. a turning point for me. This is like, this is this interesting. Is, I mean, what happened was my brother rented me the couch in his apartment for four hundred bucks a month, which I'll never forgive him for. I mean, that's an expensive couch, wouldn't you? That say, is Tyler? very expensive. That <laughs> I I feel he might. Have I didn't taken even advantage. have a job. Is that if 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 that was your. It feels like there's a hard lesson in there somewhere, but I feel he just was taking out. It was just being. It was just being opportunistic. Am I like? <laughs> But we'll talk. We're going to talk. We're going to talk to Sam that. another time. But yeah. I don't know. I'm going to make a note to bring that up. So, because I'd love to get his perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he said. Uh, I'm sure he thought he was just uh, holding me accountable to uh, the realities of As life. As a good brother should. But okay. Yeah. All right. So I uh, I ended up going to uh, I ended up going to some retreats and like doing some work on myself to just kind of understand what you I was going you, through. You, you, you yeah. leaned in. Yeah. Did you get the, leaned the, the, health, the pain. Did you get the healthcare sorted out? Yeah. I mean, that kind of went away with all the, the stress and everything. It's amazing. You know? like a, a change yeah. in mindset, yeah. how that can affect yeah. the body. I mean, and, and but, but you're on the path, but you're kind of on the path back now. You're rebuilding, yeah. you're rebuilding the you. Yeah, exactly. And and I have to say, and this one thing that I skipped over, and most because there isn't like a real story around this, but during this odyssey through Mexico, um, I did realize that I not only wanted to, but needed to work for myself. And there was no moment where that happened. But I think that I was reflecting on the autonomy uh, and success that I had working with my boss at Peter's and, and the fun that I had and the sense of purpose that I had. And I was like, I cannot risk not having that again. And the only way to guarantee that for myself is to start my own business. That's such a powerful observation for not understanding the, what it is I want to do, but what characteristics does it need to have? Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Because what can apply to that is a variety of things. But until you made that call, it's sometimes death by too many options. But when all of a sudden the role had to have a certain criteria, which is what you just said, it's amazing how it starts to narrow the focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like starting from the back and working your way out front. I mean, like, oh, I want to do this job. It's more like I want, like you said, I want this job to have these qualities. I want them to fulfill me in these ways. And within that, you know, within those criteria, um, there's probably like a number of things that you could do. Um, and so of course there's still options. Yeah. But you're starting to, you're starting to, you start, well, when you talk about just get it, like the first thing step is always just getting it for yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's so I um so when I when I when I sat down when I sat down and said okay so I I don't have a ton of education I got some pretty good real world experience in small business I don't have a ton of education that would lend itself to this particular career or that particular career um, I said I I I I knew one thing is like whatever I did I wanted it to give people a real sensory experience you know I was um, I was enthralled with um the the uh experience of being seduced by an environment um and so you know whether that you know and and of course the 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 things i'm referring to are things like you know what actors do and what musicians do and i mean they really put us in the moment and i love that and of course you know i had no proclivity to acting or um or uh, musicality, but one one area that I did have a lot of experience and a lot of natural um, talent and confidence in was in the realm of food, and food was a huge part of our growing up. You know, where other kids were talking about soccer and whatever was going on in the hockey arena, um, we were like um, we were working with recipes with our parents and cooking with our parents, and that was a very natural place for me to be. Uh, as a young person, I have a lot of fond memories of that. Collaborating in the kitchen. Yeah, collaborating in the kitchen, yeah. So, you know, um, I realized that, um, and I was kind of looking at Calgary, you know, and and, uh, I was thinking, you know, Calgary, even in the late two, uh, like in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, is not was not like it is today. You're absolutely like, right. There was a time where like Brava Bistro on Seventeenth Ave was like, and and cilantro were like the some of the only places to go yeah, for like as a Montrealer who moved here dining, right? in the early two thousands. I drove yeah. around town and I was like, "Where is oh, everything?" Wow. Right, and you take it for granted when you live in a city like Montreal. Yeah. And, you know, Calgary was a was a bit of a bedroom community that, you know, vacated downtown on Friday at four o'clock and uh, and and there wasn't a lot going on. Um, And so I was kind of like, you know, as much as I kind of I kind of poo pooed Calgary when I was growing up a little bit. And especially once I got exposure to some other cities and all that, I saw a lot of low hanging fruit here. And what I meant was like Calgary is ripe for growth. We're seeing the cultural diversification that's happening, and these people are not, and everybody who's coming in, whether they're coming from the east of, of eastern Canada or whether they're coming from overseas or wherever, they're coming from cities where they're used to a pretty vibrant culinary scene and cultural scene in their city. Literally cities. a hunger. Yeah. For, for more, for yeah. Any more depth. And that kind of made and me And so you're traveling, excited. obviously, contributed directly to that perspective for you. Totally. It, it became a non-negotiable. So yeah. It, yeah. And I was like, why would I move to another city when there's so much to do here? And I think that that was really the, that realization is really what like sparked the first sense of like, I'm home in the deeper sense of being home. Like, this is my place. This is where I'm meant to do something and have an impact. And, um, and so, um, I, with all of that, decided that I would start a Mexican taqueria because I'd been eating tacos on the streets Absolutely. of Mexico for Go the last four months. Go right? with what you Go know. Go with what you know. Go with what you know. And uh, I literally ate three days a week off the streets uh, in Mexico. Not literally off the streets, but from vendors on the on For anyone the who travels, we're comfortable <laughs> with what you mean. If you don't know what we mean, travel. Go travel. And you'll know exactly what we mean. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and so I, I started writing a business plan for a Mexican taqueria 
And I was like, well, I need to go have experience in a Mexican taqueria. So I actually went down to Helena, Montana, which is where I have a whole bunch of family, including my grandmother. Of all places. Of all places. Yeah, because... But you've got family. um, There was a taqueria down there. And you have family roots there. Yeah, and I have family roots. Um, And, you know, this was 2010, 2011. Like, we have really great Mexican food in Calgary now. But, like, there was nothing... Outside of Texas and, that, and, and let's be honest, that was seven, seven, years, seven years, ago. years ago, which is yeah. really yesterday. Right? Yeah, and there was nothing. So, like, I had to go somewhere else. I thought, I figure I should be in the States because they probably have more access to Mexican ingredients. And they have As someone who's traveled motorcycle throughout the U.S., every yeah. small town in USA has As a Mexican, Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Absolutely. And I searched it out, and there's been some fent. The, the hole in the wall is where you find the best Mexican food yeah. in, in small town USA. In small town USA, exactly. And so I worked for this guy. He's from Mexico City, and he, I, I don't know how he had made his way to Helena, but he had started at a small Mexican restaurant and it was a pirate ship. Like the thing was just not working at all. You mean it wasn't it was it was styled like a pirate ship. No, no, like literally okay, just as checking. in like okay, there was no right. there was no there was no there was mutiny on the horizon. Let's I see, put it. I got like, it. it okay. just, I was literally, it I was was literally picturing no, a pirate was... ship. I was very literal right there. Really. That's the Caribbean that, that, restaurant yeah, I Yeah, I know. In. I was like, I feel, I, okay, Mexican restaurant pirate theme, it threw me off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, please, sorry. I'm to be more I, literal. Thanks, th- th- yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, as I said, I got bad marks in English in high school. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I worked there for a few weeks, and I was like, I, once again, I was like, there's no way I'm going to pull this off. And I was coming to the realization, too, that I didn't think I was going to be able to have the expertise in labor in Calgary. I didn't think I was going to be able to have the recipe development that would give me the end product that I was looking for. Um, I just felt like, and I just didn't think that the ingredients existed. I mean, it was just an incredible amount of distribution in the U.S. of of, right. of products coming out of Mexico that we just, at that time, and maybe even today, just don't have access to. So, so curious, at this point, you're seeing logistical challenges. Yeah. Were you wavering on the on even this path, or was the path still I was there? wavering, no, I was wavering on this concept. Okay. Uh, like the Mexican food restaurant. And plus, your... I had never really, like, I mean, I knew that a restaurant was a tough industry, the restaurant yeah. industry. Yes. And I just, I was looking, I was like, how am I qualified to do? And so, I, so a little bit of self doubt along the way. Yeah, and so You're human. I quit. So now it was <laughs> okay. Now it was aerospace to chemistry to physics to you know quitting this 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 job in corporate in corporate finance and and private equity to quitting this motorcycle journey. And now I was come quitting this idea. Like it was you know for a Mexican restaurant. And so it was getting it was borderline absurd. If at this if, point. if 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 anyone's keeping score, this is starting to look. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's starting to look, to look like, like a trend. Like your graph is if you've got your Excel spreadsheet and you draft this. Yeah, out. and it's going. It's not going the direction. It's not that going you up. Yeah, this isn't a hockey stick up. It's not what we're seeing <laughs> yet. Yet. And this is where it all started because that night I went home. I was uh, staying with my aunt and uncle. Was where was home at the time? Yeah, I, sorry, family? staying with my family. aunt and uncle's family. And um, my, my grandma's house was just a few blocks away. I went over to her house and I was sulking um, and feeling sorry for myself. And I went into the freezer at her house and there was a, there was a little white, generic white pint cup. Um, like a pint of ice cream, like Haagen-Dazs or whatever. Okay. It, was, it had no labeling on it or anything. Yep. And, I, and I saw Huckleberry written on the top. And I opened it up, and it was this beautiful purple ice cream. And I took it out to her front porch. It was like in February. It was an unusually warm day. So I was able okay. to like sit on a front porch and eat some ice cream. Um, and I had one bite. And, you know, I'm not one to usually eat dessert before dinner. Um, and I ate, like, the whole pint of ice cream uh, before dinner. It was so amazing. And I was feeling sorry for myself. So um, there was some justification there. 
And it was so amazing. I said, well, I asked, like, where is this from? She said, oh, it's made locally here in Helena um, by this little company called Big Dipper. And, um, yeah, it's our local Huckleberry ice cream, and everybody loves it. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. I woke up the next morning, and I announced to my aunts and my uncles and everybody who from my family in Helena, I said, I'm going into the ice cream business. And, you know, I'm sure nobody believed me at this point, right? Like, I mean, I had a pretty poor track record. Tr- for track record alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm, feeling like you could, I'm feeling like this is a, this is a moment. Like the, the pin drops. Nobody knows what to say. Did you get some votes of encouragement? Did no. people walk out of the room? What happened? People, I mean, they just smiled. And, and you know, and... You, and, you got the polite, you got the yeah, polite smile. Yeah. You and you know smile. what? It was the first time many where I felt like I, did, I didn't need any outside encouragement. I had made my decision. Um, and I'm going to tell you, and, and entrepreneurs don't like to admit this for the most part, but there's a huge amount of luck in our success. And I was very lucky to have had the idea of going to ice cream business. Cause as it turns out, it's a very rewarding and wonderful industry on, on, on many levels. Things that, that no way at the time you, you knew. There's no way I could have known. In hindsight, that. things you know, I could have chosen, different. I could have thought, Oh, I'm going into this or that. And it would have been exciting to build and everything, but it wouldn't have had the sustainability. It wouldn't have had the legs. It wouldn't have, this really, really was a great great idea that i stumbled upon i i appreciate the honesty around chance it's easy to yeah. it's easy it's easy to unpack my genius in reverse yeah but when you look back oh my god look at why and how and you know the the formula of how you got there makes sense but the honesty and kind of putting it out there that sometimes good ideas just happen <laughs> yeah and this was an example of you that, still acted you know? on it so i'm yeah. not gonna i'm not gonna take away some of the like i'm gonna we're gonna build on the credit that you had to make the idea happen but it's interesting i really appreciate the honesty for people to understand that yeah i i got it but there was a degree of like just ha- right place right time a magical formula the the way the stars were that day and uh you know i i, I there was something i felt it deeper than ever before you know like i felt a conviction um and and i and i was totally secure about this idea and i don't know where that came from um and sometimes i just wonder if this is what i was meant to do and that's what it feels like when you have fallen on something stumbled on something that you're meant to do i just did not question it at all one would say from the outside you stumbled on it after searching for it and yep. trying like you know you, you stumbled on it struggled. but you know the luckier the, what is it the luckier i the harder i work the luckier i get yeah the more things i try at the more times i strip and fall the better chance that i'm going to catch it Catch it next time it comes around. So yeah. it's interesting to hear the journey and still appreciate the fact that it just showed up. It, it just, just showed, showed up. up. And uh, I, I, I t- got my laptop and I went to a cafe and I spent 10 days in, in Helena, Montana, writing my business plan um, for the ice cream business. I had no name for it or anything. It was just the ice cream business. Yep. And Work, uh, Working title, the ice yep, cream working business. working title. And uh, I came home, and uh, my dad had a little office downtown in, an, in a big tower in downtown mm-hmm. Calgary. He had a little office, uh, a spare office that he lent me. And I continued to plug away on this business model um, eight hours a day for two months in an office. And uh, figuring so out no, how no, to raise no, money. No wavering of, at this point. Like, you are in. You are committed. Oh, 100%. And so I figured out how I was going to raise money. You know, like, most of this business was funded through bank debt. Um, and um, I figured out, I figured out. you know, how much is everything going to cost? What's the equipment going to cost? What kind of space do I need? All of that. 
And uh, I just started plugging away at this business model. Another piece of luck that came my way was about two months after I had come up with this idea and I had built a pretty solid business model and realized that there was nowhere, I couldn't really go any further without a space because I couldn't get my bank money without having a, a, a leased location. Lease makes it real for the yeah, banks. Makes it yeah, real so, I could, so I couldn't make it, I couldn't make this thing happen. I realized, man, like I got to go find a space now. So I did, like, that's a really, to me, it felt like that was going to be a very boring and tedious process. And so I made a commitment to myself. I said, every morning, Monday to Friday, from 9 a.m. till noon, I will get in my car and I will explore a different quadrant of the city or a different set of streets just looking for locations. I didn't even know what a real estate broker was at that time. I knew that real estate What made a good location? What made a bad location? No, I just thought. Just going by, by your gut. And so the first morning I got in my car. So this is my inaugural morning of looking for my space. I got in my car. And I decided that I would drive up and down 10th Ave. So, so uh, 10th Ave, just, you know, just south of downtown. Mm-hmm. And so I started under the Crowchild overpass uh, in Sun Alta on 10th Ave. And I slowly my, made myself e- eastward towards 10th Ave and what's called Olympic Way now. And uh, that's about a 18 block stretch stretch there, and where I was turning my head left and right, left and right, looking at every building as I slowly drove along, holding up traffic, and I, I get car sick really easily, even when I'm driving. And so I got to the end of 10th Ave, I got to the cul-de-sac uh, of this of this of this little part of downtown, this little corner of downtown that I had never even driven to because it was a dead end and there was nothing up that that street. And I saw a little engineering oil and gas services company and right beside it was a parking lot. And so I decided I'd get off 10th Ave and go park in this parking lot and and close my eyes for a minute and just kind of calm the queasiness. When I opened my eyes, I looked through my rearview mirror and I saw this ugly single story uh, stucco building with a engineering services company logo on it. And I looked to the back corner of the building and the appeared to be kind of a a door leading to a vacant space and i just said to myself this is where the first village village ice cream location so literally divine intervention i'm hearing like like angelic music in the background (laughs) sign lights if this is a movie where this is how it's going to show up it but was, it's literally in it's your the mirror. most absurd location to put a retail business practically on earth and it was the source of so much of our success so i don't know if it was divine intervention or luck or what it was but i walked into there and there was a secretary and i said introduced myself said what i was trying to do and i asked her if they had any space and she said yeah we have about 1500 square feet in the back i said and that's exactly how much I had calculated I needed to start this business. The, the pieces and are falling in place. She gave me the name and number for the landlord. Um, and, uh, and I phoned him up. And three months later, uh, I had a lease on my very first Village Ice Cream location. So there I was. I'm just I'm feel I'm feeling that yeah. moment. I'm feeling that yeah. moment of you sitting in it. It was and exciting. It, and at that point, it's like, all right, we're in it? Or like, oh, my God, what's happening? I never, never, never felt scared. And that was the other thing that was so amazing about this process. Um, when I finally found what I wanted to do, everything, I was so focused. Um, and uh, failure was not an option. I just didn't even conceive that 
failure could be an option. Um, well, let's be honest. You'd done all your practicing. You'd practiced. Yeah, yeah. You know, not I to, knew what not it was to, like not to, to overstate, but just your words, you'd failed. At, yeah. Like, it literally, at counting was about half a dozen things, whatever they were. So all of a sudden you're like, well, I know what that feels like, and that's just no longer an option anymore. Yeah. So, but if you'd never... It's just such an interesting chain of events to see so many things which society or people might say, oh, failure, and, you know, it might have appeared as negative, but it literally, to me, sounds like you're priming the pump. <laughs> yeah, and I was re- I was just ready to rock. I just had an unlimited amount of energy for this and an unlimited amount of um, dedication to the project, to the cause. And so... You you know, wake so up, were you waking up early to work on it? Because I know you don't like working up early. So no, no, so no. I never woke up early. Okay, all right, just, no, all right, no. just checking. Okay, certain, you, that's you, why I start my own business. So I, I don't have to wake up it. early. <laughs> so yeah, it's that criteria of to be successful, it must look like this. I can yeah, get up when yeah, I want. No, no, no. That's just like I, the two criteria were: don't wake up early, and I only have to shave once a week. That was my. Uh, that was my. No, uh, no hair net on the beard for ice cream. Oh no, 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 let's not get Only, of course, if I'm in the kitchen. Of course, okay, absolutely. And any. Any mentors at this time? Any people that are really kind of yeah, stepped well, in? Yeah, well, and actually, this is this is really, you know, this is probably, you know, when I look back, this was probably, if I am to give myself some credit, this is where it would be. So February of 2011, I come up with the idea. May of 2011, I have a business plan. I've secured the financing, and I have this location, this absurd location in a Four in months a later, corner five, of five months later, four months yep. later, you're in business. The problem is I had no recipe. <laughs> Uh, I kind of figured that that was just a detail that you could leave till the end. Um, That's fair. I I would like to anybody who's listening out there to understand that the recipe is the first thing that you come up with. (laughs) Um, What I didn't realize is that I I would need the help of of, um, professionals. And when I say professionals, I mean I would need the help of food scientists to really make this thing work. Um, and so, um, I phoned up an amazing, uh, it's a, it's a government subsidized, um, uh, um, uh, initiative program that helps people who want to, um, develop food products in Calgary or in Alberta, provincial or provincial provincial? in Alberta, um, to, to achieve their dream. And they have an amazing facility with like 25 or 30 million dollars worth of equipment like it's just incredible and so another I thing the guidance chance chan- the guidance counselor doesn't mention no no you. they don't mention that there's you know, so many resources go, such a good lesson though for anyone in life or in business there's so many resources out there but amazing you've got, you've got to go look for them and they are resources. there we live in a fantastic yeah. part of the world where we have these support networks that so many people don't know about or take advantage of so, yeah so you reached out did someone tell you about this or did you just dig and find it uh i no, i dug and found it you know and yep. for rolled uh, up your sleeves for again a, for again. a mere six hundred dollars a day I could use their facilities. Okay. And the only as an entrepreneur, that, that sounds that was that was pretty scary. You're moving into four hundred dollar couch territory here. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're supporting uh, that, me, but yet, uh, anyways, that monthly couch rental didn't sound so expensive at that. No, point. no, no. <laughs> so pennies a day, pennies a day. The other thing they said is they had no room to get me until the fall, and I'm in May. So I I I um no kind of spent the no better part the of the end. summer. Um, you know, I'd go there and I'd fiddle and try to do some of the the build out of the kitchen on my own and figure out that I'm just horrible with anything to do with tools and need to hire somebody so to st- fix st- my mistakes. After all and, these adventures, you're still learning. Yeah, still yeah, learning. and I and I'm just making. I'm just kind of you know buy you know buying my time you know until yep. i can go and and get some help because I, I i knew kind of what my recipe needed to be at a, a small scale but it was like how do you how do you scale that up for real commercial production right 
So fall comes and I um I uh I I managed to get in here. I spend the better part of of, of a month um in Leduc, Alberta, just south of Edmonton, um, um developing out my recipe with the help of food scientists and all this amazing equipment. Because of course dairy products need to be pasteurized and homogenized and all that. And there's yeah, there's, there's quite there's a bit of complexity like, in, re- in dairy. Yeah, you know? re- it's real. Um, you, you even though we were making an all natural product and everything like that, there was definitely some physical processing, the me- mechanical processing that needed to go into it, right? Um, and that was a very stressful time. And I, I had, uh, I had during that time I procured a a dairy supplier. And, um, so, you know, it was late January of 2012. So I'm now almost one full year, um, after I had come up with the idea, I have this, you know, this kitchen that I have built out that's just sitting there idle. I have finally come up with a recipe. I have a vendor for my dairy and the day I finalize my recipe, I phone up excitedly to speak to my vendor, and he announces that he had just called a, a meeting uh, with 200 of his employees to announce their bankruptcy. Wow. And that left they were hook, shutting hook. down that at the, left hook at the end com- of that week. Coming out of nowhere, yeah. nothing to do with you. And in, in Canada, there's not a lot of options. You know, it's a very... Oh, in terms it, of... Like, it's, it's not a lot of options. Resources. Yeah, there's, there's some boutique dairies. Um, that can't that that usually can only supply for their own their own product, and then there's these massive conglomerates that would like never look at you because I'll never you know I, I'll never be able to because uh, you're not ordering a million yeah I'm not ordering a million dollars. liters a yeah. year so really tough situation to be in and I would say that was one of the low points for me because I was kind of like that was one of the only times where I was like I don't know if that's I can the make highest this high happen. and the lowest low right there yeah yeah um, so this all the in the fir- same that's day. the first real moment of. Like I heard you say that this might not happen. Like, yeah, this, yeah, this might be a deal breaker. Because I mean, like I had everything. Like I had the equipment. I realize now, looking back, I mean, the equipment was the easy part. You know, buying equipment. I mean, that just takes writing checks and you know yes, signing a right. lease is complicated. But you can kind of figure that out. And getting bank money is complicated. But it's like none of it really matters if you don't have anything to sell at the end of the day. There's there's always make or breaks in your business. Yeah, yeah. So since you don't own a dairy farm, and I don't own ca- you know, I don't yeah. have a dairy farm. So yeah. you know that's uh, that makes things really complicated. It does. It so does. I um, and so to go back on kind of one of the things that I think I did really well was um, during that time um, I had found a mentor down in the U.S. and this was another just piece of luck. I had opened up a Twitter account in November of 2011, and my first follower was a girl named Kate Cousy, and she was one of the she's kind of one of the the foodies in the city and one of the, you know, kind of key people in this social media sphere. And she had written us our first tweet, which is, oh my God, boutique, you know, gourmet ice creams coming to Calgary. My favorite place in the world is this place down in Seattle. And uh, I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. And I was like, it was called Molly Moons down in Seattle. And I was like, oh man, I was just randomly like saw that tweet. I was like, I should see what Molly Moons is. So I go out and I look at this website and I see, wow, this is a really established business. They have a bunch of locations. They're making gourmet ice cream like I want to do. And I went to the about section and the first saw, the first words that were written was Molly Moon uh, discovered uh, her love of ice cream and, and really uh, built her business based on a summer job that she had in Missoula, Montana at the Big Dipper. 
which is where I came up with my idea. The, I hear the angelic music again. I see, Crazy. I see, yeah, I see it Crazy. again, the moments. And so I phoned her up because I had... I was just like, I would do anything to make this business work. I had no anxiety about who to contact. I would just phone her right up, and I just said, I'm Billy, and I, I'm so lucky I got a hold of her. I mean, because a lot of people would just be like, no, I'm not talking to this person. I'm Billy, and I also discovered my love of the ice cream business through my experience at the Big Dipper in Montana, and I just think it's so amazing that we got the same thing. And I was phoned her just to ask her, do you think I should go to Ice Cream University at the University of Pennsylvania? And it's a week-long program. It's a 110-year-old program, week-long program that teaches you all about the science of ice cream. And she was like, no, that's going to be a huge waste of your time. Just buy a ticket and come visit me in Seattle. Boom. Next day, I had a ticket to Seattle. And that's where I was. I never, when people that I felt had expertise um, were willing to lend a hand, I never said no. And I always looked at the big picture. You know, a lot of, I think a lot of people will be like, well, I don't know if I really want to spend, like, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know if I want to spend 500 bucks on a ticket and, like, stay there for four nights. And, like, that's all going to cost a bunch of money. I never thought, I always thought big picture. You know, which is like, gee, this will be a, this will be a drop in the bucket compared to the value that I could, what it's gonna create could potentially get. And we started an amazing, amazing mentor-mentee relationship where she just kind of leapfrogged me. And that's the value of mentors. Is like mentors literally just leapfrog you like over like the trenches of like of difficult lessons that business presents. All those landmines that you could step All on landmines. that they've probably stepped on. Yeah, that they've stepped on and they're ready. And one thing I realized, and I'm the same way, is like we want to share what we've learned with others. And she wanted to share with me and I I continue to share with others. You know, I mean, it's just who we are as people. For the most part, we want to share. It's not fun to have success and not share, you know, or or not be able to, you know, um, share your failures too to make them see less burdensome on your conscience, right? (laughs) And often others, we can learn so much from, you know, it's, it's failure is not unique. It's not a unique set of, of, of circumstances. It's usually a series of events and you're like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. It's a human, it's a shared human experience. It totally is. And she just was so gracious and giving with her time and her information. And, um, I have a very expensive product to make So the, the, the ingredients that go into making far are very expensive because we use a lot of, uh, we lose a lot of, um, dairy fat and as you know from going to the grocery store yes the difference in price between skim milk and a liter of whipping cream is, is three times right so when you're putting a lot of heavy cream in your product and that's what makes our product taste so good very expensive and she said to me she said billy your current model my model at the time was i'll try out a little wholesale and then maybe i'll like have some retail she was like your product is so expensive to make that if you don't incorporate a retail component, that you'll be out of business in, in two months. I didn't believe her at the time. I finally came out, I finally figured out a dairy provider. So fast forward into the spring of 2012, I finally figured out a dairy provider. And I just go back to do a little bit of math because I'm kind of ready to start distributing to restaurants. I've cooked you're, up a couple you're, contracts. Those, those, those Excel spreadsheets are, are, are coming in handy yeah, once yeah, now again. Yeah, now they are. Now they are. Now, yeah. here, now here's when all the past things start to make sense when you look back. Oh, that's where that, yeah. And I redo my projections based on kind of a more realistic idea of like what restaurants are really going to burn through in terms of product. And I realized I was going to be bankrupt in two months. And I called her up. I said, I get it. I get it but I, I've spent all my money and I'm in the world's most hidden location. Like, you don't understand. I am in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I was right in downtown, but I was in a part of downtown that no one had ever been to. 
And I was in a hideous building. I was like, how am I going to build retail? I'd have to build it somewhere else. She says, the uglier the building, the cuter you can make the space inside. People love the contrast. Oh, good advice. So I said, I don't think I can do this on my own. And she said, well, I'm too busy. I, like, I, can't, I don't know if I can help you that much. Because she had mentioned a few months prior that she would come and visit me if I wanted. And, all that. and I said, okay, that's too bad. And then I, phone her, I, re- I got off the phone. I'm like, I didn't try hard enough. I phoned her back and I said, I will fly you in in the morning and I will fly you out at the end of the day. Like, please just come and help me. She said, okay, okay, just I'll stay one night. So we'll work a full day in the morning together and then I'm out of here. She came, I gave her a tour of Calgary. I could see her eyes when she saw my building, which was like... This is going to be interesting. So she, 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 she at that point, she, she thought you might have been over-exaggerating up to, up to that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she saw what I was dealing with, but she stayed positive. It, at the time, it had the space I was working in had brown carpet, brown walls, and 20-year-old T-bar ceiling tiles. And she walked in, and she said, get me a ladder. And she started tearing down this T-bar, and then she said, get me green painter's tape. And she and I designed my whole store with green tape, painter's tape, just outlining on the floor where every, this is where the tables will go, this is where the POS system will go, where everything. And I wouldn't let anybody touch the green painter's tape. And I went in for a development permit and a building permit, which for some miracle passed through inside of about four days. Based on green painter's tape. Yeah. I drew all the HVAC myself for the city with uh, pencil crayons. Um, showing kind of where Do you, all the duct should work we would should go we edit everything. this part out potentially for <laughs> no they passed it they said this is good enough for us and uh, I called in electricians and everybody else I didn't even know what a general contractor was at that time I didn't know that people would like organize this project for me and you, at this point you just figured it was you yeah I thought that's what I did that, yeah. aren't I the business owner phone yeah. the electrician phone the plumber and I phoned them all in and I showed them the like a homeowner you tape. do the work yeah yeah, yeah you're just and doing I showed it. the mill workers I said this is where I want tables this is where everything and nobody was allowed to touch the green painters tape and it stood there until it got torn out. The only reason you were allowed to take the green painter's tape off is if you were about to install a piece of millwork. You had to replace wall. it with what was going to be <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, what was going to be there. And five weeks later, I had a full-blown ice cream store in front of my production facility, and we were open and selling scoops of ice cream to the general public. What, what and that time? That was what, June 22nd of 2012. Yes. So you got summer bearing down on you at this point. Like yeah. This is kind of, yeah. this is a summer. series of make or breaks. Yeah, the solstice. A series of make or breaks, and you open on summer solstice. Yeah. And how, like, not to be cheesy, but how did it feel? Oh, man. That, what, first, day, or? that first day, I did more sales than I had calculated i would do in like a week you know that first day magical moment (laughs) and of course you know the rude awakening was that was just all my friends and family coming of course (laughs) nice (laughs) uh but first circle of influence uh, friends and family and i remember that opening party you know we had about 200 people come we put a tent out front um, you know, we had a music going. I had five scoopers in the back, just scooping up free ice cream for everybody, champagne, wine, beer. I had family come up from the States for it. I mean, back to your, you provided an experience. Yeah. And I was just so proud of myself at that moment, you know, because I, I dealt with a lot of insecurity. I just didn't feel like, especially when I realized that I wasn't a very collaborative individual or felt like I wasn't, um, that I was a lone wolf. I was like, man, life's, life's going to be a tough journey for me. And, uh, to see that, you know, to see that I was able to pull something off that had value was like really, really important for me. And, um, 
And that's where it all started. That's Village Ice Cream right up to day one. Billy, you've, you've taken us on the journey, the twists and turns, the literally the twists and turns on the motorcycle, the twists and turns in careers, the in brackets failures along the way that have contributed. It's six years later. What, what has Village become in your eyes? Tell us, tell us from an owner's perspective. Well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm just so like proud of what I built, you know, and, um, and I feel really fortunate that I was able to contribute to the city in some way, which was my original goal. Um, Village uh, has grown into three locations in the last six years. We employ 75 people. For, for a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our employees are, are um, early entrance into the, into the job market because, you know, hiring scoopers, I mean, usually they're just out of high school. And uh, so I feel a great responsibility to provide them with a, a great working uh, experience right out of the shoot, you know, because I feel like that's something that I was missing um, in my late teens was like an employer that really cared to kind of steward me through uh, the early uh, the early stages of career life. Um, so, you know, you know, at the beginning, it was about just making payroll and it was about um, having enough left over at the end of the year to contribute to growth. And um, a lot of my uh, a lot of my focus was around just maintaining um, the financial stability of the organization. Um, and we've been really fortunate to have some success and be able to grow and use cash flow to grow and, um, and uh, to continue to hire and create more interesting jobs and real career positions within the company. I mean, that part's kind of what's been exciting for me. And, you know, just to loop back to, you know, my early, um, you know, anxieties and concerns over being a lone wolf and not being able to collaborate, that has been my cross to bear. And that has been my hill to climb over the last six years, which was there was no way to build a 75-person enterprise without learning how to collaborate and learning how to motivate, inspire, manage, and be part of um, teamwork. And uh, it did not come easily because I really am true and true uh, a lone wolf. And, you know, but I think that's been the most interesting part of getting into businesses. Um, I had no idea when I was young um, what potential there was to um, to seek and discover personal growth through business. You know, I thought business was just about making money. Um, and really what, you know, Village Ice Cream has been for me has been a, um, a vehicle by which I, I could have, I, I, I've been able to discover myself and to grow and be a better person. Um, so, you know, uh, that's what Village has given me and, and, you know, where I am today is, um, uh, you know, I've had some success and I'm, I'm finding that as of late, it's been easy to kind of fall back into my own, my old personality traits and uh, kind of go back into kind of a fear-based approach to decision-making as opposed to being inspired. And so I feel like, yes, Village has had success, but I feel like I still personally have um, a long ways to go. And, and, you know, when you have a bit of success, it's easy to try to just kind of um, hoard that success and protect it because um, because failure is every bit as scary to me today as it was when I was young. Um, and it's even scarier to fail when you've had some success because there's something to lose, you know? I'm no longer, like, sleeping on my brother's couch, you know? Um, so I'm trying to balance, you know, smart, smart decision-making with, like, a healthy... 
um, dose of inspired um, and, you know, well-thought-out risk-taking and continue to take risks because I think that's the part that that makes me feel alive. Fantastic. You, Billy, that was a fantastic opportunity to have a window from the outside. We've all stood in the lineups. We've all got the little sticks to try the samples, which is an amazing feature that you guys do. By the time I get to ordering what I do, I've already eaten too much ice cream. It's great. <laughs> and, but to understand from the outside that it, you, you didn't, it didn't just wake up. and It didn't happen by accident, for one. It wasn't a straight line from here to there that you worked at it. And when you talk about getting it, when you look at a brand like, like Village from the outside, from my perspective, uh, you know, as a customer, as, 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 a, as a Calgarian, as a marketer, and like, wow, it just seems like they get it. But really, it's a series of getting it that come and evolved. And to hear your honesty right now about, you know, we're here, but I've kind of re-gotten it and I'm recalibrating. And now I get to see what the future looks like. And I think that's a fantastic message for all of us in life that you, you arrive at just the next place you're going to jump off from. And that's, that's, a, that's real in business and it's, and it's real in life and, and embracing that. And knowing it's it's a journey, uh, not a, not a destination. It's cliche is cliche that is nothing more true when you're when you're in a business serving the public, and you've done a fantastic job of it. So, thank you very much for your time today, and we look forward to some ice cream. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.